Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. For the Halloween edition of Radio Curious in 1997, our program reviewed how miserably sick you can get and perhaps die, puking your guts out on the way to a wretched demise. To do just that, we spoke with Nicole's Fox, a journalist from Maine who wrote a terribly scary book called Spoiled, the dangerous truth about a food chain that has gone wild. It's truly disgusting. All those little microbes that will make you wretch and cause you to die. The food you prepare at home can poison you. When you eat at a restaurant, the food they serve you can make you puke. I spoke with Nicole's Fox from her home on the Maine coast and asked her to tell us about her book, Spoiled. Well, we've changed everything about our relationship to food. We've changed what we eat, where we eat, how we eat it, how we produce it, how we process it, and how we distribute it. For instance, not many people are aware of a bacterium called Campylobacter. It's only just now getting a bit of attention, and yet it's been identified as a source of uh, human illness now for about 20 years. It's now the most common cause of foodborne disease in the United States, and one of the main reasons that it's on poultry is because we have actually selected for it in the way we raise poultry. This is called Campylobacter, and it's on uh, on poultry. Campylobacter is on basically all the poultry we get. What, What is it? How does it get there? Well, it's a bacterium that actually loves birds because it likes the temperature of birds. When it gets into an environment, it can spread quickly, but it spreads most quickly because we raise so many birds so closely together uh, in a confined environment, and they are also from a single breeding stock, so that that means that they are uh, susceptible to disease in the same way. They're genetically alike. That's right. And so when Campylobacter gets into this environment, it can spread rapidly through an entire flock overnight. And once it does, it's almost impossible to eradicate it. But we give antibiotics to most poultry raised in this country. And one of the antibiotics is called bacitracin, which uh, the poultry rearers would say that uh, they give to prevent illness. In fact, it also helps chickens to grow, and it also actually selects for Campylobacter. So it's a growth hormone as well? No. Um, Some years ago, a number of years ago, probably 50 or so, it was discovered that giving uh, animals antibiotics helped them to grow faster. And of course, that's what every uh, producer of food animals wants to do, because if an animal grows faster, then you have to give it less feed, less shelter, um, less water, whatever. So it's economically more satisfying for the producer. So anything what? that can help an animal to grow faster is obviously, from the producer's standpoint, uh, very valuable. But well, in this, What it, does Campylobacter do to us? Campylobacter causes um, a diarrheal disease, and it can last from three days to about a week. It can be extremely painful. It can cause bloody diarrhea. Uh, It can be very debilitating. And perhaps most importantly, it can move on into other illnesses. Um, Perhaps you've heard of Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, Reiter's syndrome, reactive arthritis, even meningitis, and on occasion, a human miscarriage. All of these have been related 
to infections with Campylobacter. That we get from eating chicken. That we get from eating chicken. And it's on virtually all of our poultry, all of our chickens and turkeys. So what can we do about this? Well, this is a bacterium that can be cooked out of meat. In fact, most of the foodborne pathogens that we're looking at um, are easily destroyed by heat. The problem is cross-contaminating other things in the kitchen. What do you mean by that? I beg your pardon? What do you mean by cross-contaminating other things in the kitchen? Well, suppose you prepare chicken and you then have Campylobacter on your hands and uh, you go directly to cutting up the lettuce for salad. And you're going to eat that salad without cooking, obviously. Uh, You've just contaminated it with a bacterium. Or suppose that you cut the chicken on a cutting board and you wash your hands, but you later go back and cut the salad on that same cutting board. You've cross-contaminated. And so when you eat that salad, you may get sick. Uh, But on the other hand, what happens most often in studies um, that they look at, it's the cook who gets sick from Campylobacter uh, because he or she has handled uh, the raw poultry and is perhaps uh, infected um, herself or himself. In other words, by putting your finger in your mouth. Exactly. Um, So basically, the Campylobacter... Campylobacter factor is a um, is a lack of uh, cooking or a lack of cleaning. That's right. Um, Will warm soap and water clean it? Well, yes, and and hot hot water will kill it, uh, and soap. And you want to wash your cutting board in hot soapy water and let it air dry. That's so. If there are any bacteria in the water that's still on the board, you're not going to put them on your Uh, kitchen towel. Um, You want to wash your hands thoroughly in hot soapy water. Uh, And if you want to use a disinfectant on the counter, there's a simple one. You can just put a couple of uh, teaspoons of uh, chlorine bleach in uh, a quart of water and that will will kill bacteria. So this comes into most every home um, by eating chicken. How about um, red meat or vegetarian issues? Well, uh, red meat can carry a number of uh, pathogens. Salmonella, uh, the most notorious E. coli 015787, which is uh, what made over 700 people ill in the Jack in the Box outbreak. Uh, It was in Odwalla apple juice. It was in the Hudson meat that was recalled. Uh, And and tragically, it's recently been found on uh, uh, salad mix with using of baby greens. What is this E. coli bacteria? Well, E. coli is one of the most common uh, bacteria in the in the world. It's everywhere. It's in uh, all of our guts. It's in the guts of animals, and um, it's usually harmless or um, at least not particularly harmful. But this one strain has picked up the ability to produce uh, this very dangerous toxin, and it can also adhere to the lining of uh, the intestine. And that combination makes it a very vicious. A bug that causes um, often bloody diarrhea and uh, in susceptible individuals can move on into hemolytic uremic syndrome. What is that? It's a terrible, terrible disease um, in which uh, the, uh, uh, the, the blood cells in the, uh, are, begin to be uh, 
are broken apart by the toxin and they begin to clog up uh, the urinary tract and the kidneys and then um, it can kind of cascade through the body affecting one organ after another. Uh, some of the children who've died from this have had uh, gangrenous brains, they've had heart attacks. It's not always children, but those people at the extremes of age, the very young and the very old uh, people who are immune compromised, they're the most uh, the most vulnerable. In Scotland, there was uh, about a year and a half ago, there was an outbreak of uh, E. coli 0.15787, in which eventually 21 um, older adults died. Well, you're talking about some pretty awful things, gangrenous brains, uh, right. heart attacks. Uh, where does this come from in the E. coli? Uh, or well, phrase well, the other way, how would a person get uh, food that is contaminated with E. coli? Well, talking about is animal waste or human waste, fecal material. That's why it's always been so important to uh, have clean water supplies and keep waste away from our uh, supply of water. But whenever there's this contamination, whether it's on meat or on vegetables, it can carry these dangerous bugs. And there's a whole list of new bugs that we're looking at. Um, from the, the common ones of, of salmonella to new varieties of salmonella that are appearing more frequently, such as salmonella aniridis to the campylobacter, the cryptosporidium to listeria, yersinia. There's just a whole list, cyclospora on raspberries, and we're seeing more and more foodborne disease. What I'd like you to tell us, Nicole, if you could, is um, where these show up on the common foods that we eat and how to avoid it. Well, they show up on anything that has possibly come in contact with animal waste. So what happens in the slaughter process is um, perhaps the animal has waste on its hide from being in dirty conditions, and this might get onto the meat during slaughtering. Uh, if it's a dairy a cow, um, believe it or not, even the, the milk in the udders might be contaminated because many cows are infected with uh, bacteria today. Uh, it might uh, be from uh, the intestine of the animal breaking and splattering the meat. There are many sources of um, fecal contamination uh, that uh, can get on meat during the slaughtering process, and that's why slaughtering has to be done so carefully. Today, however, it's done so fast, there may be as many as 250 animals an hour uh, being slaughtered, and uh, you can see that there's more danger of contamination. But the real problem comes with hamburger when um, I think most people believe that you go to your local butcher store and you ask for hamburger and it's ground up there. Well, it may be ground up there, but it probably comes into them coarse ground from someplace like Iowa or Nebraska or Colorado, and it's ground up there in enormous lots. It may contain a thousand different cows from four different countries, many of them spent dairy cattle. And when all these animals meet at these huge grinders, you've got to expect trouble. One contaminated animal, because the, the meat is all mixed together in this process, can contaminate 16 uh, tons of hamburger meat. So this is what we were reading about recently with the contaminated meat from the Midwest? That's right. That's exactly what happened there, and they made matters worse by uh, taking leftover meat at the end of the day's production and reworking it back into the next day's production, which, of course, just carried bacteria into the next lot. Is there any way to be safe when a person eats uh, red meat or hamburger? 
A thorough cooking of hamburger is important. The good news about steak is that muscle meat is actually sterile, and so the potential for fetal, fecal contamination is only on the outside of the meat. So if you take a steak and you don't poke it, you don't skewer it, you don't jab it with a fork to marinate it, um, you can be sure that what's on the inside is actually microbially sterile. So you, by cooking it on the outside, you'd kill the pathogens, and then you could eat it uh, rare or pink inside. But not hamburger. That would be Russian roulette to do that. I'd like to take a moment and say that I'm talking with Nicole's Fox, who lives on the coast of Maine. She wrote a uh, startling book entitled Spoiled, The Dangerous Truth About a Food Chain Gone Haywire. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Nicole's, there's been a tremendous demand in our country and in other countries for cheap food, something that you can get quickly as fast food or something that's inexpensive to prepare at home. Has this played a role in these foodborne diseases? Absolutely. I think when I looked into this problem of uh, the increasing problem in foodborne disease, I wanted there to be one simple answer. I think that's what we all look for. In fact, it's very, very complex, and it involves consumer demands as well. We can't just look at the production, processing, and distribution system. We have to look at the role that consumers have played in their demands for novelty, for convenience, for year-round availability, and perhaps most of all, for cheap. And when something is dirt cheap, it's probably dirty. I think a lot of people go into the grocery store and they look at chicken for 99 cents a pound and at a yellow pepper for 3.99 a pound, and it never occurs to them to wonder how an animal can be raised for six and a half weeks, uh, processed, slaughtered, uh, distributed, and still be so cheap. And what has gone into creating the kind of efficient system that has made that animal cheap has has also uh, presented it with the potential to be carrying these pathogenic organisms. So what has gone into it uh, is what? Well, just some of the things that that I mentioned before, the fact that uh, animals are... uh, the, the poultry, the chickens are raised in houses with uh, perhaps 70,000 under one roof, but they're virtually genetically identical. They may be getting dirty feed. They may be getting dirty water. Uh, in the United States especially, the uh, chicken houses are not clean between each flock, which always surprises Europeans when they come here. And so you have the potential for uh, the bacteria in one flock of chicken to be very neatly transferred to the next flock. There doesn't seem to be any impetus for the producers to get these uh, bacteria out of uh, these animals because they're not hurting the animals. They're just hurting us. And so if we're going to change things, we really need to awaken consumers uh, so that they can pressure uh, the people who are selling them and then the people who are producing food for them. Let me give you an example. When consumers in Sweden found out how contaminated their poultry was, they simply stopped buying it. And the industry responded. Uh, 40, after a 40% drop in consumption of poultry, the industry began figuring out how to produce clean poultry. And you can now buy a salmonella-free chicken in uh, Scandinavia. Now, this is something that we don't have the option of doing here, probably because consumers do not know how contaminated they are and do not know that they can actually be cleaner if they demand it. 
Beyond cooking the chicken so that the uh, juices run clear instead right. of pink, what can we do to protect ourselves? Uh, that's about it. Um, that's, that's all you can do, really. But you want to make certain that you, that you keep a very clean kitchen and that you're very careful not to transfer the bacteria around. I simply find this too difficult to do, so I don't bring meat into the house anymore. A University of Arizona study uh, compared... Um, kitchens to bathrooms and actually found kitchens more contaminated with pathogenic bacteria than the rim of the toilet. And that's, of course, because you're not washing your, ki- your chicken in your toilet. Uh, chickens are grossly contaminated. There's no other word for it. So you're suggesting um, for people who like to eat meat, do not eat chicken and do not eat hamburger. As well as if you do, keep it very clean. Well, yes. I mean, I think this is an individual decision to make, and this is just my own personal decision. Uh, These products, if you bring a piece of raw meat into your kitchen, regardless of what it is, you must treat it as if it were grossly contaminated because it probably is. So you do need to be careful. Some people say, well, if this is the case, why isn't everybody sick all the time? Well, one uh, expert, the CDC, estimates that uh, we have, each and every one of us has at least one case of foodborne uh, disease a year. We might pass it off as the flu. Um, It might be mild. It might be what they call self-resolving. Or you might be one of the unlucky ones, and I have so many stories to tell, uh, for whom it was really quite a disastrous experience. Where a person thought he or she had the flu, and in fact it was a foodborne disease. Right. In fact, there is no such thing as intestinal flu. Flu is a respiratory disease. So if you've had something that you call the flu, it was most likely uh, a foodborne disease. In other words, vomiting and diarrhea is not the flu. That's right. Interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a respiratory disease. It's something in your lungs. Vomiting and diarrhea are most likely a foodborne disease. So what do we do about going to a restaurant? How do we know it's safe? Well, you, you don't. Uh, basically, you're putting uh, your health in the hands of, of strangers. It's, a, it's really an act of trust. Then what do um, you order when you go to a restaurant? Well, you know, if you order something thoroughly cooked, you're going to be fine. Um, but, you know, if you get something that should be thoroughly cooked, such as, say, a lasagna, and you bite into it, and it has a cool spot in it because they've heated it up in a microwave oven that doesn't cook evenly, send it back and ask that it be heated. Uh, you also want to basically go to restaurants that you trust. And uh, even that can be wildly misplaced. Um, even amongst uh, restaurants that where I know the owners, I've found some terrible practices going on, such as pooling eggs. You know, any egg that you eat today potentially carries salmonella and heredities. Explain Um, what you mean when you say pooling eggs. Pooling eggs is when in a restaurant situation, uh, the the chef may, uh, before breakfast, break 150, 200 eggs uh, into a large bowl and beat them up together and use those for preparing scrambled eggs or uh, omelets or whatever. So one contaminated egg or that's contaminated with salmonella will uh, spoil the whole batch. Spoil the whole batch, yes. The difference is that if they'd used individual uh, individual eggs broken one by one, uh, perhaps one person or perhaps two people might have gotten sick. If you use pooled eggs, you might make 100 people sick. Plastic wrapping around food, what does that do uh, for us? 
that we don't well, want. Well, it gives us a sense of reassurance that everything is very nicely protected uh, inside. But if, in fact, uh, the bacteria is already on the product, it just keeps the bacteria inside with the product. It, it really uh, is a kind of false assurance of uh, safety and um, cleanliness. It really doesn't mean a heck of a lot, and in some situations it can actually create a situation that's favorable to certain kind of microbes. For instance, a lot of us like the convenience of opening up a bag of pre-cut vegetables or salad, and we may not ask ourselves why it is that those vegetables seem to stay, stay fresh so long, even after they've been cut up. Uh, it may be because they're in what's called a modified atmospheric packaging in which the oxygen has been taken out and replaced with some other gas, perhaps nitrogen. Now, in that case, the spoilage bacteria, which, which make, the, say, the lettuce turn brown around the edges, um, don't grow as easily because there's no oxygen. But if that package happened to be contaminated with Yersinia or Listeria, which are uh, pathogens that grow without oxygen, they would be very happy there, but you wouldn't see the spoilage that would put you off not eating them. And so this is a, is a new danger, and um, the people who deal in foodborne disease are just waiting for the outbreaks to happen uh, if, in fact, a Listeria or Yersinia or uh, another one, Clostridium botulinum, get into these packages of, um, of pre-cut vegetables. Nicole's, what prompted you to write this book? Well, I'm just a reporter, and uh, I do stories on a lot of different subjects. I write for The Economist magazine in London, and it was in 1993, and I, like everyone else, had heard about the Jack in the Box outbreak in the Western states, and I was mightily impressed, but I thought it was something that just happened there, uh, a kind of an anomaly. And then we had an outbreak here in Maine, uh, and two children died, and I'm sure no one heard of it. It wasn't one that made the press, but nevertheless it happened, and I became interested in this bug. Um, I discovered it was a new pathogen. I was intrigued as to what new meant um, because I didn't really understand how a bug could get into the food supply so quickly, and I discovered it was really spreading around the globe. This led me to look more closely at E. coli 015787, and then I found out that foodborne disease was on the increase. We had all these emerging foodborne pathogens, uh, and in fact, this was a fascinating story to tell of how changes in how we do things, our relationship to food, how we eat, um, how we cook foods, also how we raise them, how we process them and distribute them, all of those things could create these niches for a host of emerging foodborne pathogens. When you um, made reference to salad that's uh, prepackaged, yes. um, makes me wonder about switching to organic foods or vegetarianism as a safer approach. Well, uh, none of those are, are guarantees. Organic foods may be, uh, they may taste better, they may be better for you, they may have more trace minerals in them, uh, but they still may have the same danger of carrying microbes. Um, vegetarianism is no guarantee because um, fruits and vegetables can carry microbes as well. Uh, what they are irrigated with, what they are sprayed with, what they are washed with, uh, how they are picked, all of these things can, um, can contaminate them with 
microbes that cause disease. And we have to remember that when you eat foods that are uh, imported from far away, you are in effect consuming uh, the growing conditions in that environment, uh, the water, the soil. You are consuming the living and working and sanitation conditions of the people who uh, pick your produce and pack it. So one of the things that I do think is that if you can lower the number of times that a product changes hands, you're going to be better off. And to me, that means looking for more locally grown foods, uh, looking for... Um, uh, foods that haven't traveled such a distance, foods that are in season, really, uh, that haven't been uh, stored quite as long. And one of the added advantages is that if you begin uh, buying, say, from a local farmer's market, you begin to build up a relationship with the person that provides you uh, with your food. And that relationship can mean responsibility and accountability. And I believe that translates into safer food. Processed foods, is there a uh, future in eating more of those, such as they may be? Well, there really is, uh, in a sense, but it's not something I like to contemplate because I love food, I love cooking, and uh, to me that's just one more layer of technology uh, separating us from the source of our food. And yet people will say, oh, yes, we can eat canned foods, we can eat uh, processed packaged foods, we can eat irradiated foods, and we'll be safer. Um, we will also be setting the stage to create uh, bugs that resist these processes. For instance, you can bet that once we begin irradiating, we will soon be creating irradiation-resistant uh, microbes. It's also what um, a doctor up in Canada that I like to quote calls the bulldozer approach or the Stalinist approach to food safety, uh, whereby we're just further and further separated from uh, the source of our food by uh, layers of uh, corporations and technologies and uh, really we lose control over our whole food source. You know, you can go into your grocery store and find uh, 10 varieties of uh, orange juice, but if they're all uh, press, processed, pasteurized orange juice, that's really not any kind of choice. That's it's one variety. I beg your pardon? It's one variety. Uh, I mean, there may be yeah. 10 different brands, but they're all exactly the same. Thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask you the question that I ask all of our guests at the end of an interview. And that is, could you please tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately? Well, yes, I've read a, a, a wonderful book uh, called Water by Alice Outwater, which um, it's just a funny coincidence that uh, her name is about uh, water as well. But it, it explains so much to me about uh, the the problems that uh, we're having with water and why we're having them. And obviously, water's interesting to me because uh, when water touches food, uh, it has the potential to contaminate. Nicole Fox, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you. Nicole Fox is the author of Spoiled, the dangerous truth about a food chain that has gone wild. The book that she recommends is Water by Alice Atwater. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. 
We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.